Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. If you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome to Just The Facts with me, Alex Zane, the podcast that takes a journey through the CV of a different actor or filmmaker every week to uncover some fascinating facts about their career. At least that's the premise. Now, some of you will now be aware we do go off on the odd tangent every now and then, but that's fine, right? That's natural. I'm happy with that. I love a tangent. I hope you do too. I'm guessing you do as you are here for today's wonderful episode 18. Yeah, it's our 18th birthday. We're all grown up, 18 shows in, and I just wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of you for subscribing and listening to the show. Honestly, you start a new podcast, and look, I'm aware there are a lot of pods out there to choose from these days, so I just really, really do appreciate the response so many of you have had to the show and the fact that you come back every week. I mean, it's weird sometimes. You know, we kind of make the podcast in a vacuum. I record it, do the interviews in my kitchen. I edit it in my kitchen, kitchen, uh, which is what I call my kitchen because uh, it's very shiny. So I call it kitchen. I don't. Uh, but look, it's only when we put the podcast out there and you guys get in touch and we get an idea of how much you're enjoying the format and the tone of the interviews. So, yeah, basically, thank you. It means a lot. 
A quick shout out as well to my producer, Grant, who I don't think I've mentioned before, but who has worked with me from the very start behind the scenes on the show. He builds our sexy graphics for Instagram and Twitter. He handles our YouTube videos. He is also the brains behind the Movie Facts and Geek Facts Instagrams, among a whole litany of other things. So thank you, Grant. Uh, On that note, while we're talking social media, if you do want to get in touch with us, we are at JTFpod on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And YouTube is where you you can also watch the full interviews in glorious Technicolor the Friday after the podcast is released. And one last thing, if you do feel inclined to leave us a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods, it is really helpful and it is massively appreciated. So thank you in advance and anticipation for that as well. Right. We put up a series of clues on Twitter and Instagram as to the identity of this week's guest. A huge congratulations to Frank B and Gemma Page, who were the first correct guesses in this week, working out that I have a brilliant actress, Sinerva Carlson, on the show for episode 18. Just before I introduce her, a quick apology. About halfway through our interview, there is a little bit of background noise because right outside Tenerva's window, some builders decided to dismantle their scaffolding right then. So there's a few clangs, creaks, coughs. Now, I've had a play with the audio, but I'm not the most technically skilled person in the world. Yeah, I know. Try and hide your shock. But anyway, I've sorted it as best I can. But I just want you to know that I know that you know. So, I hope it doesn't affect your enjoyment of this episode, because my guest today has had an incredible career. In just five years, she's played the lead in the hugely successful BBC series Clique, before jetting off to Rome to appear in the Netflix show Medici, and now has her first feature film coming out, starring in Edgar Wright's hugely anticipated horror, Last Night in Soho, which I haven't seen yet. So if you haven't seen it, I'm, I'm guessing that's most of us right now. It's a spoiler-free chat. We don't go into any spoiler territories, so you can listen to this and not have the movie sport for you in any way. What we talk about is what it was like for her becoming part of that movie and working with the brilliant Edgar Wright. So... Let's get episode 18 started, shall we? Please welcome to Just the Facts, the brilliant Sinerva Carlson. Hey, this is um, this is a fun way to start uh, the day. This is an early interview. This is an early interview for me. Is this early for you, 9 a.m.? Yeah, no, it is early. It, not early necessarily in terms of, you know, life, but for an interview, it feels quite early. Are you, know? you an early, are you an early riser normally? Have you been up a while? I'm, I'm not naturally, but when I'm working, I have to get up very early. A year ago, I could sleep in until like 10 and now I can't. But I've then, had 3.45 you... once. That was oh, tough. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's not acceptable, really. I mean, that is, that is, that's still the night before in my book. That's not even a morning. I, wasn't, I only go to bed at one, so. Wait, so you go to bed at one and sometimes, and you're up, well, I need an hour before I can well, leave. That's what I, I know that I'm sort of an adult now is because I've sort of, I need my routine in the morning. I oh, used yeah. to get up five minutes before my pickup. And now hmm. I'm sort of like an hour to, you know, get ready, <laughs> down and feed my cat and, you yeah. know, have a little routine. So. Yeah. Have, <laughs> have at least two coffees. Exactly. I, I, 
I cannot function without them. But you see, I mean, I'm a little bit older than you. I say a little bit. I'm going to keep with, I'm going to stick with a little bit, actually. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you. Problem I have now is like, it's when I wake up at like five and even if I don't have anything to do, like my brain just kicks in and I just yeah. lie awake in bed and I, I can't do that. I find that you have the weirdest and not necessarily positive thoughts when you sort of lying in the dark in the small hours of the morning. But they're not positive. They're rarely positive, are they? Mm. No, my, no ne never. It's like you just like stuff that you're absolutely fine with about four hours later when the daylight has kicked in. In that moment, you're just like massive anxiety, huge anxiety. What's going on? I know. I mean, when I had this, I worked in Italy and we had um, 3.45, I think even 3.15 pickups because it was a period drama. Mm. You know, you go in and spend hours on your hair and makeup and costume and stuff. And I just couldn't like, there were nights where I just didn't sleep. Because you're sort of lying there thinking, I've got to get up at 3.15 to go to work. So, I mean, and then, then that, that, you know, those thoughts develop. You're sort of lying there and the small things that wouldn't phase you at 10 a.m. suddenly like the biggest problems in the world. Yeah. Um, and the advice they give you, because uh, obviously, you know, I've looked into it. I was like, well, something I've got, there's got to be some sort of quick fix for this. But they, they say the best thing to get to sleep when you're awake in the middle of the night <laughs> is to not think about trying to get to sleep, which is a brilliant phrase that makes absolutely no sense at like four in the morning. No. What else can you do? I was, and you have to distract yourself. But then, you know, it's like, how do you, you for me anyway, I have to be like listening to something put a podcast on, listen to something. And then I'll, if it's really good, the, the more interesting, the better, because then I have to really be thinking about it in order to get to sleep. That's interesting. Otherwise, I've... if you're lying there with all your thoughts, you're like, Oh God. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I mean, it's the opposite for me. I've tried that because obviously yeah. that's, that's another thing, but like I tried, what was it? I tried the audio book of the Hobbit, which oh, is great. Okay. Yeah. But but I, I like I just get into it like the opposite. Oh, of you. And then you're the, like really awake. Yeah. yeah, you're like this is a great story. They should make a movie out of this. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, so where are you now? Are you are you in London? Yeah, I'm in London. I'm just at home. So you've been you've you've lived in London for quite a while though, haven't you? Yeah, since I was like twelve, pretty much. But you you grew up. I want to talk about this just because um, <laughs> I love the part of the world that you grew up in. So you grew up on the west coast. Of Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. You wouldn't know from hearing me talk. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever have an accent? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I think when I think I just moved at that funny age where I, I, I was reading about it. Apparently, if you move before puberty, mm -hmm. you're more likely to change your accent than after puberty hits. So I went when I was 12, and I was the only person at my school that sounded like they were from Glasgow. <laughs> so you slowly start saying like glass and grass and you know yeah you but I have a fairly 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 strong accent my brothers still do so it's a bit weird and I, I sound very English can you like can you literally tap back into it at the flick of a switch yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm lit, obviously I'm, I was gonna say the I'm, worst thing is, is like when I go there I feel like I like I went to a wedding recently in Scotland and we got in a taxi and <laughs> My my instinct is to start sort of speaking <laughs> my accent, and when I obviously I was there for ages when I was doing Cleek, and I just spoke in Scottish accent the whole time, which is great and it worked for the character. But then now my association with Scotland is like 
you're like, Val, like, I start going into like really Glaswegian and I can't get away with it anymore because I'm not. It's weird. Isn't it? It is weird, but I'm guilty of the So I'm from Leeds originally, oh, yeah. and I, I don't know what, why. I don't, I've never really had an accent. I mean, certain words, people go, hey, are you from the north? And I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, like toast. I don't really yeah, yeah. say toast. But, but when I go back to Leeds, just I dial it up. I, I'm just like, yeah. I feel like even though I never had it in the first place, I'm now doing a fake northern accent because I'm where I grew up. It's, it's a strange thing. Exactly. Just so that you feel sort of like you fit in because you know that you're from there. Yeah. You can't do it in front of people. That's why I've realized I'll do it on my own if I'm like in a taxi or, you know, meeting someone. But if I'm with my like, friends and then I suddenly go into like, you know, Glaswegian, yeah. you can't get away with it. They're going to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder what it is because uh, I, like, I get in taxis. Like, I get in a taxi in London, and like you've got like a, a really like Cockney taxi driver uh, with a thick London accent, and I'll start adopting. I'm like, all right, mate, and I'm like, why? What am I doing? I've never had this accent, but I feel like if I have this accent, we'll get on better. I think we're similar then because I think it's some sort of wanting to. I don't know. I think it's yeah, wanting to find common ground or wanting to kind of fit in. For me, anyway, like I, I grew up in Glasgow till I was twelve. Then I moved here. I've got the most insane name in the world. Mm. Who knows where that's from? So I have to always, when someone asks where you're from, I have to say Norway because my name is like so Scandinavian. Yeah, I'm not really. I mean, I'm not really from Norway. I've always lived here. So then, mm. but then you know, you're not really from any. Well, I don't feel like I'm really from anywhere. So then you kind of dial it up amongst certain people. I was presenting at the um, Scottish BAFTAs a few years ago and I was telling someone a story about like, you know, growing up and they were like, you're not Scottish. Hmm. I was like, no, I, I am. <laughs> and then they were like, no, you're not. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not, am I? <laughs> I was like, who am I? <laughs> I, was, I thought this was going to be a fun, light award show, and now I'm questioning my entire reality. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it helps with the acting, though, um, uh, sort of like having sort of like not really sort of being sure where you're from. I just remember reading an interview with um, a fellow Scott, actually, Robert Carlyle, uh, years ago, and he said one of the reasons he thinks he's, he, he, he's good at acting I'm sure he didn't say it quite as bluntly as that, but you know, the reason he uh, he enjoys acting is because he moved schools a lot as a kid yeah. and so had to fit in in loads of different places, which I guess is a, a similar thing, this idea of sort of adapting your identity based on your circumstances. Yeah, definitely. I think so. I think that's the main reason why I'm an actor, just to, being all over the place and parents moving about all the time. And, and it is that feeling of, you know, wanting to belong somewhere, wanting to fit in, and then you become mm. quite good at, it sounds really, it sounds like I'm really fake now that I'm describing it. No, I don't. Yeah, but I, it's kind of like shifting your, I don't know, you're quite displaced and then you're trying to like fit into different things. People do attach a lot of weight to their identity. Like I think people are like, you know, you, you meet people who are like, for example, Scotland, you know, the, 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 the adage, you know, I'm a proud Scot or like people sort of from my hometown in Leeds, they're, they're all, they're very much like, you know, I'm Leeds. That's where I'm from. And if you never sort of really have that for whatever reason, you don't have the accent, you didn't, you moved around a lot. You never spent much time in one place. You do sort of feel that you want to have that identity. So I don't think it's, it's fake as much as it is sort of a desire to like have something that you've never actually had. Yeah. 
No, that's true. But the West Coast of Scotland, wow, what a place. Um, I don't know what it was like for you growing up there, but to visit, I spent every summer holiday for about a decade at some point along that West Coast. So, really? uh, yeah, Obam, uh, yeah. the Isle of Arran, uh, yeah. which is beautiful. That's not far from where you that's grew up, is it? Not far from where I grew up, yeah. Um, where else? Sky, a bit further up north, Sky, Arisag, Malay, all around there. It's such a, a gorgeous part of the world. Beautiful. Yeah, no, I loved, I loved growing up there. But I am also glad that I sort of got out, not got out, but kind of left when I did, because I think I would have probably just stayed in Scotland. Mm. But I, at the same time, like I loved, I, lo- I loved having, doing Creek and getting to go back there. Because I kind of left... Like my, my fat, all of my brothers grew up there, went through secondary school. I was the last one. My parents had to move abroad. So then I moved down to England and I sort of had this weird, like nostalgia feeling that I missed out. And, um, again, sort of like lost my accent and all of this stuff. Um, but then I got to do clique and got to go back and live there as a kind of adult ish, Mm. um, yeah, I love it. I loved, I loved living there, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I spent my early years in Scotland. It's um, it's it, it's it's strange because we I, we had um uh, an actor, fellow Scot, Sam Hewan, on the show, and he sounds like he had a similar story to you, where he moved away from Scotland quite young, and then he went back to, in his case, to film Outlander, and he said like going back there, he really sort of reconnected with what it meant to be Scottish, and had this quite deep emotional connection with the country. Yeah, and appreciation for it as well. I mean, I always, I always loved. I, I, you sort of don't realize how lucky you are until you leave, and then you think, "Oh my god, that was such a special place." And then getting to go back at that time when I was maybe like nineteen or whatever, go back up there as a kind of adult and get to know Glasgow in a different way. You know, mm. I just knew it as like an eleven-year-old getting the train mm. along the Clyde, going into Glasgow, going to like Topshop. I'm going down Buchanan Galleries, which is like a shopping centre in Glasgow. Um, yeah, it was quite nice to go back and kind of do see it as my brother sort of saw it as a teenager, you know, and kind of experience it as an adult. It was really cool. Yeah, I love so, it. I love so when it. you move when you moved down to London, then what was that? I mean, obviously, partly it sounds like it was because your parents uh, moved abroad. Hmm. But was for you, was that because you knew London was the place where you could pursue a career in acting? Had you decided at that point oh, that no. acting? No, 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 no. No, it was just to go to school. I think it was just like an easier place for them, for my mum to be. And my dad was living abroad. And it was just everyone was at a different point in their lives. I, I'm 12 years younger than my eldest brother. So my parents had been parents for a long time. And my dad right. had opportunity abroad. So. It was just, you know, an easy place to be based and go to school. and um, But acting definitely didn't come into things until so, a lot of- <laughs> Oh, wow. I, that's interesting because, I mean, because you were, I think I'm right in saying you you watched uh, and discussed a lot of films when you were a kid. Like film was quite a, a big part of your life when you were young. Yeah, definitely. But I wasn't really the one on the path to do that, I don't think. I've got lots of cousins and... They were really, they all lived in Bristol, meant like Bristol Vic and very arty. And I was a bit more, I, th- I don't know. I was just a bit, I, I just was a bit like, oh, I'm, that's not for me. You know, that's not what I should be doing. Um, but then I sort of tried, like I tried to go to the National Youth Theatre and do, do a few sneaky things, but it just didn't really work out for me. Mm-hmm. But then I realised that I really wanted to do it 
because I didn't get into National Youth Theatre and I just started sobbing. I was like, is that like so upset? And then I was like talking to my friends about it and I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. Like my reaction, I must really want to be in National Youth Theatre. And then it sort of grew from there. I realised that like, oh no, I really want to do this. But it was in that not getting in that I sort of realised like, oh, I must really like this. That's interesting. So like on a, on a subconscious level, like a level you didn't even realize you were like, this is something I, I had no idea that I wanted as much as clearly I did deep down. Yeah. Or maybe I hadn't really allowed myself to like, you know, think it too much. I don't know if anyone really wants their kids to be an actor. I don't know. What's it, were you, did, you, did your parents have any advice? I never said anything, but I just, I don't think it was like, I just, I just sort of assumed that they wouldn't want that, you know? Mm. Um, just because it's such a difficult path to go down and so uncertain. Um, so I think I probably kind of hid it. But anyway, it all came out in the end. So <laughs> I wonder if it's that simple thing, because I think we all have that thing where it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about this. But the minute you're denied it, you're like, well, now I want that. Now, now I'm not allowed that. That's the thing I want. Yeah, it was, so, it was bizarre. It was like, oh, my God, that must be really important if I'm having this reaction <laughs> wait so you you have that reaction you're sobbing was it in public I, I were you crying no, in public in my re- I was just like with some of my friends from school and I was like sitting in my room and my mum was like oh, you got the letter from that theatre thing <laughs> I didn't get in I did get in a few years later can I just say? okay yeah no of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> what, well, what, what, sort of like sitting in my room and I was like sorry guys I just got some really bad news I was like really upset and they were like it's okay and then I think it dawned on me that evening like oh god this must be really important to me because I'm really upset about this so in those in in a few years between not getting in and getting in what changed I I became obsessed I started googling google was my best friend I was just like how to become an actress how did Carrie Mulligan become (laughs) like just literally like googling that and then finding like fan pages and different, you know, breakdowns of things you can do. And it was funny actually, because the thing that kept coming up was skins. And I was like, oh, I just like need to go to one of these open castings. This was all again in my head, kind of like as I was trying to go to sleep, Googling all this stuff. And then in the end, the first job I actually got was the people that did skins, their new mm. show clique. So it was quite funny. But yeah, I was just, I just wanted to try and figure out how I can make it happen. So am I right in thinking that you initially got spotted at a wedding? You were singing at a wedding and uh, you were spotted by a casting director, which on paper at least sounds like that kind of fairy tale story of how someone yeah. is just going about their regular life and then, wow. Well, that's all the stories that I would read would be like, and I was walking through Times Square and I got spotted. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. I need this time. <laughs> but no, it wasn't that much of a fairy tale. It was a bit more vague. It was, I was singing at a wedding. I then got talking to someone. I don't really remember because I had had a few drinks. And apparently I was sort of described, I do, I do, sorry, I do vaguely remember, but I was sort of talking to them about how I wanted to be an actor, blah, blah, blah. And they knew that I was from Glasgow originally. And then a few weeks later, I was in Norway and I got this email. I got, no, I got a Facebook message from um, a casting director's assistant. And, I was like, and it was, sorry, there's building work going on outside. And then 
yeah, the, the, the Facebook message was like, do you want to audition for this series, Creek? Um, it's a BBC Three show. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. But this could also be spam. How has this happened? I didn't you know, put two and two together. And then I was sort of like showing people, asking for advice. And my parents were like, this seems really dodgy. Like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> I was also at drama school at this point. So I'd done a year at drama school, which was such a huge thing for me. Getting into drama school was like exactly where I wanted to be. And then I was a year in and I was, it was like my summer and I was singing at this, these weddings. And then I just thought, I'll just do a self-tape. I read the script. It was really exciting. I'll do a self-tape, which I'd never done. I Googled how to do a self-tape. I did a self-tape, sent it in. And then literally the next day they were like, oh, do you want to come and meet, do some more taping? So at that point I was like, okay, this must be legit. This mm. seems fine. It was still a bit like, what am I doing? Is this? <laughs> I don't really know how this, you know, you usually have an agent or someone that you're sort of going through and it was just me on my Facebook page. Yeah, it seems that, I mean, to be contacted through Facebook for an audition, it sounds on paper that you were absolutely right and your parents were right to go, hmm, really? Oh, yeah, they were like this. You need to be really careful. You know. Anyway, I went and it was fine. It all turned out to be good. Um, so, and it turned out that the person I met, his brother was directing Cleek, Robbie McKillop. Mm. So his brother, Jamie, was at this wedding. And he said to Robbie, oh, you're looking for this girl. You should meet Sinerva. I met her at a wedding. She's Scottish. She's an actress. She's at drama school. So then they reached out to me. I think they were trying to find someone who hadn't done anything before and um, ended up getting the part a few days later. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly, I mean, this is your first job and it's a fairly big job. Um, how, what, how was the audition? Did you walk out going... That went well, Sinerva. You knocked that out of the park. I knew that they liked. I, I could tell they were interested. Mm. It was a scare. It was. It was. I was. It was nerve wracking. And then I think, like, and yeah, how did it? And then I ended up sort of meeting with some agents, and and the casting director Jane said, "I think you need to get an agent. It's just safer that way." And then I could tell in sort of the final. We did a few. We had a few meetings with different execs and people and. In one of the final ones, I could tell it was a bit different. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Because they sort of started the, the executive producer Brian started saying kind of if we're going to offer you this, you have to commit to it and it has to be, and it was just a bit of a serious conversation. And then I was kind of there like on my summer holidays at this casting. And I think in that moment, I sort of realized that it was probably going to happen and that I would have to make this really hard decision. And then I went to Hampstead Heath and just sort of like sat there for a few hours, like, what should I do? Yeah. When you say, what should you do? As in, you weren't sure whether you should take it or what you should do with yourself because you weren't sure if they were going to give it to you at that point. And you were like, oh, I, I, I was you know. so overwhelmed with everything and kind of emotional because I had just started this trauma school that I'd spent, you know, just felt like such a huge deal getting in and then to sort of throw it away. And then. Oh, I see. I didn't so know you what were I was doing. And I didn't know if it was. And I knew that I, you know, there was some nudity and it was just all like, I was just in every scene of this show. Mm. I had to sign up for two seats. It was just like a big thing. And I was there like, oh my God, I didn't, a week ago I was on holiday and now I'm here and I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Was it Parliament Hill? Were you sitting looking over London? In, yeah. By the Lido. I was sitting under a tree kind of. I, I keep saying that I was crying. I was crying, I think. I don't always cry, but <laughs> there's been a few. I'm describing these sort of fundamental moments, you know? Yeah. I was sitting under the tree like, what should I do? <laughs> but um, I decided to do it. So it was, um, I'm so glad I did. It was the best thing I could have done. What, what, I mean, I, I, I think clearly it was, but was it? what was it like for you as your first job? I mean... Was it something of a learning curve? And I don't necessarily mean because of the acting per se, but just the experience of being on a set, being part of a production. As you're describing it, I'm getting like, it was so, I remember my parents came and saved me for the first week. I was in every single scene and it was, you know, five days a week, getting up really early, going to work. And then Friday, the first AD called, okay, that's a wrap for this week. Well done, everyone. And I was like, oh my God, we have to go. We have to go home. Hmm. I went home and my dad was there and I was like, I just don't, I didn't want to go home. I just wanted to stay. I just wanted hmm. to stay there. We could have done six day, seven day weeks, you know. And then I just lo- I just absolutely loved it. Every minute of it. I mean, after you know, 13 weeks, you're exhausted. But I loved it so much. And I learned so much. And the crew was just amazing. If you wanted to be a screen actor, it was like drama. For me, it was sort of like my drama school doing clique. It's it's weird because I I I I guess you sort of think 
Uh, oh, was it? Were you nervous? I think that must be a question that that is asked a lot when it's your very first job. Uh, are you nervous? And I remember. So you were about twenty two, I think, when you got the role. I did my first TV show at twenty two. The very first thing I did, and people were like, "Oh, were you nervous?" And I remember distinctly that I wasn't. It was this idea that you know it was exciting, and I finally got to show people what I thought, at least, I could do. No, exactly. But then I I was nervous because I. I was nervous about the logistical things, you know, like the, luckily Robbie set me up on a meeting with um, Jessica Rain and she just described like what your days will be like, mm. who these people are on set, you know, and that was so helpful. But at the same time, I was like, oh my God, there's so much that I don't know about this. And also there's so much riding on this opportunity. So I was nervous and I went all in and it was, um, but it was just like exciting. When you say a lot was riding on it, do you mean because it was your first role and it could, if it hadn't gone well, you know, that could have been it for a few years? Yeah. And I just felt like, I don't know. I, just, I didn't know if I was good or I didn't know if it was going to be, if I was going to do it justice or, you know, like I wanted to give it everything. Mm. Um, and it was just, it was exposing. I think that was the other thing, you know, it was exposing in, in various ways, not just because I had to, there was nudity in it, but also because. I was in every scene and it was a real emotional journey. And it dealt with some big themes, didn't it? It was, yeah. a, it, it was, a, it was a, a show that, um, that addressed a, a lot in its two yeah. seasons. And it felt to me at the time, I, I'm sure this wasn't true, but at the time it felt like everything was kind of riding on this these few months. So I did put a lot of pressure on myself. Again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you haven't really looked back since Cleek because you went straight from Cleek onto uh, Medici. Um, so how how were you still doing Medici when you first heard about last night in Soho, or were you uh, had you finished by that point? I was doing what was that? I was on like the last week of Medici, and then I had to come back for an audition for Last Night in Soho to meet Edgar and Nina Gold was casting it, and yeah, it was nice actually. I finished in December, and then I think I got offered it in January. So um, and we didn't start filming until whenever May. So. I had some nice time to prep. I didn't have to wait too long. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna come clean. So I haven't seen last night in Soho yet. So I am trusting you to tell me stuff that is spoiler free because if okay. because I, I just I, at this point you know I I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan. I, I haven't seen it. So Jocasta, by all accounts, from the little bit of reading I did do while trying to keep my brain clean from anything that might reveal too much, she is something of an antagonist to Annie Taylor-Joy's character. To Thomason McKenzie's character. Oh, I see. Okay. So Thomason Eloise, plays Eloise, mm. comes from Cornwall and comes up to London and wants to be a fashion designer. She goes to fashion school. And my character is her main sort of antagonist in present day London. And just sort of makes her life a bit of a nightmare, which was so fun because I've never, never done anything like that before. You know, I was playing the sort of virginal like nun in Medici. And then I was there on set, like just channeling all of the sort of mean girls at school in the year above. That's what I was doing. So is that is that where you got in? How you got into character? You were, you remembered the mean girls at school? Well, I, I guess there are always mean girls at school. Yeah, or just people that have sort of slightly turned their nose up at you in the most subtle ways and that you've maybe as a teenage girl anyway, like that happens a lot at school and it's usually with girls in the year above in my experience anyway, just like really subtle ways of, you know, looking down on someone. Although Jocasta is not so subtle. It was really fun. It was really good. 
Because there, I mean, it's it's you know, it's uh, it is it something of a cliche, but you do hear a lot of actors uh, talk about how playing a villain is just way more fun than playing a, a good person in a film. It's so fun, but then again, it's really difficult because you don't know. My character's a sort of villain, but she's she's I don't know. She's got some really funny moments and funny lines. I don't know. It's it's harder to know when you've got something right in terms of. I've never really done comedy or anything like that. But it's it's a different it's a different experience working with a director and trying to get a laugh or trying to get something that isn't you know a dramatic sort of poignant moment. It's it's different. Your your character is there for a different reason. So it is kind of it's just a whole. It's a different experience. So it's it's challenging in in that in those ways. But it was really fun. I did yeah. notice that the crew approached me in a different way on that job. In what, in what respect? Because I well, maybe I felt like I had to overcompensate and be super nice to try and make sure people knew that I wasn't Jocasta. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not giving away too many spoilers. I don't think I am. No, you're not. You're not. It's it, it, what you. Everything you've said is is out there. And believe me, you'd see my face drop if you gave away a spoiler. We're definitely on the right side of the line at the moment. So wait. So you thought the you, the, the crew were a bit sort of like, sheesh. This this girl it is in my head. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh my god, they're gonna think I'm horrible. I need to be. So, and then I'm sort of walking around like, hi, hi guys. Which I am actually, to be honest, I'm like that anyway. But I think I was just in my head. I was like, "Oh no, I, I need to make you know try and make up for it." But I hope they all know the real I'm me. Sh- yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was, I, I, you weren't you weren't going full uh, full method then. You broke character between <laughs> scenes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess in terms of sort of like learning to do comedy and and aiming for uh, humor in a performance, you could have no better teacher than Edgar Wright. Like I said, big fan. Um, were you aware of his work before the film? Because yeah. I, I I sort of worked out like, um, obviously there's a, an age gap. You'd have been about uh, I don't know, just eight years old when Shaun of the Dead came out. Um, did was, yeah. were you aware of what a big splash that oh, made? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Hot Fuzz as well. I remember watching that, being absolutely terrified. Um, but they were huge movies, you know. And and I think I was that age where you're sort of coming into being a teenager and it's kind of on the edge of what you should be watching. But definitely. And then I saw Baby Driver. Weirdly, it was at this one period when I was like really not doing anything. And then my agency had like a few tickets to the premiere. But they were, you know, it was just like a few. And then I went on my own and it was a bit like, oh, what am I doing here? I don't really know anyone. <laughs> And I remember sort of looking and it was like, oh, the, the cast was on the stage and he was there. I'd never really seen him in real life. And it was like listening to him. And then whatever, like a year later, I was in a room with him. So I've known, yeah, I've known a lot of, a lot about him. It was, um, and it was quite, I think it was, it was quite a good interview uh, he was doing on stage at the Baby Driver premiere. Uh, I, I'm not going to keep this joke going. I hosted that. Pre- that was- so you were hosting it. Yeah. Edgar was there. Lily James was there. All of the co- very big cast, and they all looked fantastic. And I was all excited because I got this ticket, but I obviously couldn't get a plus one, you know. So I was on my own with all these people. But at the very back, watching you, Alex, <laughs> Edgar Wright, and thinking, God, I've got a long way to go. 
Uh, well, it turns out it was like you say, it was a year later. You were sitting in a, a room with him. What's it? What was it like actually working with him on set during this movie? Because I mean, like, you know, as far as sort of he's just an oracle of, of movie knowledge, that man, as well as a fantastic director. Yeah, it was great. When we were, we were doing rehearsals for a little while. He's just so funny that like we'd be sort of reading something and then he'd get his laptop out and then be like, have you seen this clip from this film? And he'd be like, you know, you just learn a lot. And it was, it was really cool reading it as well. There's so much. I know his movies, they always have an amazing sort of soundtrack and there's so much that goes into the script that isn't just sort of dialogue and writing. There's like, you kind of feel like a whole essence of this movie when you're reading it. Yeah, there's just like a lot of references to um, to sort of things he's inspired by. And it's that's interesting because you don't often get, I don't know, you don't often get that level of like, oh, this was influenced by this, which was influenced by this, which was influenced by this film in like the 50s and then da 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 um, And that's really cool. That's really exciting and really, yeah, he's like a definite, he's like a holds up cinema in like a really amazing way. It must be like sort of, I, 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 I I, I know from interviewing him, but I imagine working with him on, on an actual movie, it must be like film school. Absolutely. And, you know, come, I, I think he's got this, um, it, was so, it was actually a while ago that we shot this now because it keeps being pushed back, the release. We shot it before the pandemic. Um, so in 2019 in the summer. But going on to set, he has all of his sort of shots and breakdowns for the day. So you can kind of go and it's all storyboarded. Um, yeah, and it's 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 really different working with him. He's sort of you do a take, and he's like, "Okay, we've got it." And there's no kind of bravado around like that was amazing or this is an amazing shot. He's just like, "Yeah, cool, moving on, next setup." And sometimes you work with people, and they're like, "Oh my god, that was the best, oh, beautiful." And you think, "Oh wow!" And there was a moment where I was like, "Oh god, is, he, is this not?" But it was actually really exciting and cool. Because it was like a trust in your own craft. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Instead of like having to big yourself up and big up people around you, people wanted to work for him and he knew exactly what he wanted and what the result was going to look like. It's like you can trust him so much. I guess that's I guess that's a sort of like a, a two way street, really, isn't it? Because you know you, you're in the film and you've gone through the audition process. He's seen what you can do, so by the point that you're actually on set, you know he has complete trust in you that you know what you're doing. So he probably doesn't feel the need to then go, oh, let me let me reinforce, you know, how good yeah, you are because it's trust. No, exactly, which is nice. But again, it takes it takes getting used to if you've been you're insecure if you need that but but by you know there's this lovely sense that everyone's all working together and we know what the we know what we're working towards um which was really really nice and really exciting um there were a few times where i can't remember, i just like remember his laugh he's got this like very bellowy laugh <laughs> um and occasionally like mid take if you find something really funny and just hear like ah, 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 <laughs> like from somewhere somewhere in the studio you know <laughs> okay it's good. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, what a feature debut for you, though, for your first feature film. And you know, you've done like you've done five years. I think you've sort of been acting um, professionally. Uh, when you look back over your career, five years in, what's been one of the best moments so far in terms of what you've done? I mean, they've all been so exciting, but for different reasons. I would say last night in Soho, getting last night in Soho, and going to. I think the day after I was offered it, I went to do a, to meet Anya and Thomasin and we did a little mini table reading. 
and that was a working title. And I think that for me was like a really exciting sort of moment and knowing that I, I was just, I've always wanted to do films. Like I've always wanted to, I've always loved cinema. So to be cast in a film by a film director that I, you know, love and have always watched mm. was I think probably one mm. of the big, one of the biggest moments or maybe sitting under that tree in in Hampstead Heath. So did you uh, did you need to visit Hampstead Heath after getting last night in Soho? Was that I, I'm going to call them Heath moments? Was that another Heath moment? No, it wasn't another Heath moment. But there's a lot of Soho moments in acting, actually, especially if you're kind of you know going to loads of meetings back in the day before COVID and before Zoom. You probably know you go to all these meetings in Soho, and then you've got all this adrenaline. You've been getting ready for your recall, and then it's over, and you're sort of walking around Soho like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> Should I have another coffee? You know, so Soho has been another one of those places. And I think for that Edgar Wright audition, Soho was actually, funnily enough, the place I was sort of wandering around like, what just happened? Because so obviously it's a recreation. It's a, of a Soho in the, the 60s, but you weren't actually filming in Soho, were you? These yeah. things must have been. Oh, you were filming in Soho as well. In Soho, doing night shoots in Soho, closing down, like, you know, I can't even I mean, I can't remember what the name of the road was. We were filming in in pubs on the street. The whole street was turned into 1960s Soho. It was amazing. Oh, wow. At five in the morning as well on like a Saturday night. You see some, there's a real underground world that you assume is no longer there, but it's definitely there. It's what's great about Soho, isn't it? It must have been really nice to um, to be filming something that celebrated Soho. I mean, it's such an iconic part of London. And, you know, it's being redeveloped, has been redeveloped. It's changed a lot. But I think, you know, you still scratch the surface, like you said, and there is very much the original Soho buried underneath. Yeah, definitely. Is there a, is there a moment like, because obviously, you know, last night in Soho was quite a big uh, well, I, it is, it's, a, it's a big film. It's your feature debut. Is there an aspect of your job that has scared you the most? Like the, the time that you remember genuinely being quite frightened about the prospect of something? I'm always frightened about the prospect. I'm excited. But before I start, I'm on a job now. Um, the Midwich Cuckoos is what, that, what I'm filming at the moment. Oh, um, the John Wyndham novel. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. So David Farr's done an adaptation for... Um, for Sky. So I'm filming that. Um, but you know, the night before I was like absolutely terrified and, you know, sending the director all these texts and, but I, I, I it's always scary, but it's kind of mixed with the good. It, ha- it has to be a bit scary. Otherwise there's kind of no cost to doing it. But I think the, the scariest was um, actually waiting for Cleek to come out that first season. Cause I didn't work before it came out very quickly. Like we wrapped in December 20, I can't even remember, 2016, maybe 2015. And then it was coming out in like the February or something like really quickly. And, but I hadn't worked that whole time. And it, cause it was my first job and I, there was some sex and some nudity and it was just, and drugs and, you know, all the above. And I knew that everyone would be watching it that I knew because it was my first sort of professional job. And that, you know, that was terrifying because I didn't know how to, I almost didn't want anyone to watch it and I didn't know how to deal with that. What what aspect like what why was it why was it so terrifying? What aspect of it? Just like because it's so exposing. Like it's right. and what if I was terrible? And what if my parents had to watch it and think, 
Oh God, she's. Oh, I see. It's sort of that idea of swinging for the fences with like actual sort of quite extreme stuff, coupled with the idea that you didn't know if you'd been good in it. Yeah, and also just seeing myself, like seeing no one should ever see themselves in three D. You know, it's not. I mean, they should, but and I have to, but it's not a natural thing for like a nineteen-year-old. I don't. I don't really know how to describe it, but. It's it's not a natural thing to see you existing in 3D somewhere as not yourself. It's just a very confusing prospect. It's interesting. So you can you never sort of disassociate from the fact that it's you on screen. Like you, well, can you watch Cleek or can, are you going to be able to watch Last Night in Soho? And during the moments that you're on screen, can you can you sort of just enjoy it as a film, or are you always going to be watching your performance and analysing what you've done? Yeah, so it depends on the distance that I've had from it, I think. And the best thing with Cleek, what happened was I started to watch it on that first day that it came out. Or I went, no, I went to the screening with my dad, the first episode. And I think one of my parents, I can't remember who said this, one of my parents was like, oh, it's, it's really brilliant because it's, I don't see you when I'm watching it. I see Holly. And that was amazing because then I suddenly was like, oh yeah, so do I. And then I sort of realized that I am, it's not me, but there's, you know, it's confusing at the beginning because it's like you're critiquing yourself, but it's actually not, you're playing someone else, but I can watch things back. Like I just, Cleek just came on Netflix and like people were messaging me about it. And then me and my partner sat, sat down to watch them. And I was so proud of my, I was like looking and I was so like, oh my God, this is amazing. But at the time I was sitting there like, oh my God, this is horrible. <laughs> and I don't know about last night in Soho. I like to put what I like to put off watching stuff for mm. as long as I can um, and then watch it and then I can appreciate it because it feels like a long time ago. Does it change with how I'm guessing Holly had elements that were similar to you, whereas I'm, I'm assuming uh, that Jocasta does not. So when the character is more removed from you, as it as with Jocasta, is there is it then easier to just watch it as a performance? Yeah, I don't. Well, I have to get back to you because I'm. I don't know. Hmm. Oh yeah, I haven't worked that out. <laughs> I would say the distance, and I just watched a short film recently for something I did ages ago. And at Not the time, I would have, yeah, it was V. At the time, yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know. And I watched it back because I had a meeting with this director who was referencing it and mm. said how much he liked it. And then I thought, oh, watch it. And I was like, oh, that was brilliant. But only because I did it four years ago can I now think, oh, that was great. You know, it takes a bit of time. Was that four years ago? Yeah, V is really good. It's actually, it's um, it's on YouTube at the moment. So if anyone wants to see it, it's a really interesting little short film, beautifully shot, and you're great in it. Thank you. Yeah, see, I did my due diligence before. Yeah, good. Good work. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, professional. Professional. <laughs> so... We're here in 2021. Um, I mean, you've worked for Netflix, you've worked for the BBC, you've got your first movie coming out. When you look around sort of the landscape of the industry at the moment that you work in, what what gets you excited about working as a, a, an actor in 2021? I think I don't know what what's what could come next. As in, it's not predict like the writing isn't predictable. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like when you say that, actually, just to confirm, because I mean, especially in TV, but I guess in film as well. But I think certainly in TV, people are pushing boundaries that they haven't pushed before. Just and the people that are writing it and the people that are doing it, people, new people are being given opportunities, and it's exciting because you don't know what sort of 
what sort of part might come your way or what kind of, and if, and if you, if you can predict it, then I would say it's not worth doing. So that's what you look for. So you want some, if you were presented with a script, it's something that you couldn't have foreseen would land in your lap that actually gets you excited about it. Yeah. Or that I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily predict what, what this story is or what this character is something that's, um, I don't know. I'm so bad at articulating myself, but something that makes you, you have to really invest and look at this character and think, where is this, where is this going? And if you can predict where it's going, I don't mean like a ha ha moment, but like, if you can, if it's a predictable storyline with a predictable character, then it's not for me. I want to be, I don't want to, I don't want it to be predictable. (laughs) That makes makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Absolute sense. So it's like, is there a character that you would love to play? I mean, it could be either like, is there, is there a historical character, a figure from history, someone who's been in the public eye that you, you've always been fascinated with that if that role came along, you'd be like, ah, oh, I, I, that is someone who I would love to get my teeth into metaphorically. I've always said if they ever did an Amy Winehouse biopic, I would want to play Amy Winehouse. I don't know how realistic that is, but and I'm sure it will happen and I, I probably won't end up playing Amy Winehouse, but that's always been my dream because she's my absolute favorite singer of all time. Yeah, you, so you, you were a fan from, from back in the back when she was here with us. Yeah. Huge fan. That's a good one. And well, like you say, I'm sure, I'm sure it will happen. There'll, and be, quite, there'll be quite a few people in the running for that one. I imagine so. I imagine so. But, you know, for what it's worth, I would love to see you play Amy Winehouse. I think that would be great. Sinerva, that has been uh, our interview. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I've loved it. I'm sorry if I've been, you know, when you have really clear thoughts, but then you can't turn them into words. Every single day of my life. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry if I've done that. No, you haven't. You haven't at all. But I get I get that all the time. I'm like, I think my brain seems to think my vocabulary is better than it is. And it aims for words. And then it goes, and then you end up going, uh, what is that word that you don't actually know? No. But you didn't do that. That's just me. Um Thank you again, and good luck with the movie. Uh, I cannot wait to see it, and thank you for a a no-spoilers-based chat. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, Alex Zane here. Thank you for choosing to listen to Just The Facts. And while you can still enjoy these episodes forever, you might want to check out our brand new show, A Trip To The Movies, where each week a different famous film fan curates their perfect night out at the cinema, picking what snacks they'd eat, where they'd sit, who they'd go with, and of course, what movies they'd screen. 
if you love cinema as much as we do, search A Trip to the Movies with Alex Zane or head to our socials at Trip to Movies Pod. That's at Trip to Movies Pod to find out more. <laughs>